Welcome back to the Children's Wellness Spot. I am your host, Dr. Virgil, otherwise known as Dr. V. I'm a board-certified pediatrician and expert in helping families with children who are infants through their teenage years thrive emotionally and physically. Happy New Year! I think we still continue to say that um, for a while. I'm not sure when we stop saying Happy New Year, but Happy New Year again. Um, I had a patient family come in to see me this week and, and we were just chuckling about how long that happens where we greet each other this way and then it's almost like magically we just transition to the next thing. So again, I greet you with Happy New Year wishes. Let's continue our conversation about intentional parenting. By now, hopefully many of you have seen the new film version of The Color Purple, which is a reimagined uh, take on the hybrid of the original film and the musical. If you are not a musical uh, lover like myself, it may not be for you, but I encourage you to watch it anyway, just because you may find that although the subject matter can be tough, um, it's different and it may actually be something that you enjoy. Now, I want to give a disclaimer, even with the beautiful cinematography and the songs and even some moments of comedic relief, it is still a tough story, which at the foundation of it deals with trauma. So if you're someone who's actually struggling with trauma, it will be hard to watch and it can be hard to watch at certain parts. Um, But I would really like to talk today about the themes of childhood trauma that are in the movie and that are carried from Alice Walker's book, the original um, writings, as well as the musical, the original musical, because I think this is an important conversation to have as we start the new year. Um, There are lots of parents and adults who have failed to emotionally and often sometimes physically protect children in their lives from abuse and from trauma. And you really see that in every single character in The Color Purple, from Celie to Olivia, but also the male characters, Harpo and yes, yes, even Mr., as much as we despise him at times. Um, I will stop before I proceed and go on with Mr. because um, just think about a scene where Mr. is being talked down to by his father. Um, If you think about the original film and if you haven't seen the musical, there's a scene. So this is a spoiler, just an alert, where um, he's at the store with his dad, Mr. Is, and they're just he's talking to him about how Sophia, he's raised a son who is disrespected by his wife, Sophia, and how he's less of a man. And he says that repeatedly throughout the film, throughout the original film. So you can tell that Mr. has been struggling with identity and what it is to actually be a man. And that comes from the toxic masculinity, uh, which his father displays towards him and that is a a really popular term for just a negative way in which we box men in society about how they are supposed to carry themselves emotionally and how they are supposed to interact and engage in the world and it starts when men are boys young boys we send these messages to them within our family structures and then you can see that evidence in Mista and how he behaves he is a product himself of toxic masculinity and he passes that on to Harpo if you think about Harpo himself feels this immense weight to be what his father wants him to be you know mister wanted him to be a successful um, farmer 
a businessman just like him in that same agricultural um, perspective. But Harpo had a different way of moving in the world, and it seemed as if there was a tension between the, the two of them for a large part of the story. And so they, too, are products of childhood trauma and toxic masculinity. And if you think about it, Harpo essentially raised himself until um, Celie came into the picture, and she herself was a child. Um, so you had children raising children um, under the pressure of a father's harsh judgment. So there's a lot of emotional abuse that comes along with that sort of um, background. And it's almost like they felt, both Harpo and Mista, and, and likely the, the granddad as well, that they weren't enough that they had failed in every way. So there was a lot of emotional abuse that these men experienced and were passing on to each other. So interwoven into this story, and you know, we're gonna talk a lot more about Celia and Sophia and the experience of the women in the, in the story, but I didn't want to ignore the trauma emotional that the men in the story also carried. But interwoven into the story are lessons for us as parents and members of the community because there's something from this trauma that we can learn, which is I think the power of the story uh, written by Alice Walker and certainly the power of the visual, visual of the Color Purple musical adaptation in the film. So I recently attended a forum um, where someone asked me uh, a question and we were talking about just the role of the village. Where is the village? And when I say village, we, it's an it's a analogy for, for a community. It's the way in which we all come together towards common goals and responsibility for our children and for each other. So where is the village in the millennium? Where is the village in, as we enter 2024? What is our role? So that is what we need to talk about when we think about the intentionality of our parenting. Um, so in order to address child abuse and neglect, we simply need to be aware of our role in the village as parents, as neighbors, as church members. All of us have a role. It is an active choice that we make every day to observe, to take note, and to be approachable in our communities and in our lives of our children. This means cultivating authentic relationships with our neighbors to some extent, you know, I do know that some of us are, are more introverted people. You know, I think about days for me, I'm generally an extrovert, but days for me when I go to get the mail where I don't really feel like talking to everybody or if I'm in a store and I just want to run in and out of the store and not have extended conversation. But there's a way in which we can cultivate authentic relationships, which isn't intrusive or doesn't feel like pressure not having to spend a lot of time in each other's homes, for example, or you know, talking for hours and hours, but still be open and receptive and aware of the world in which we live. And this, we have to speak when we walk outside, we have to say hello, we've forgotten that a lot of us. Um, if we're jogging, and even in my example of going to the mailbox, maybe not getting caught up in an extended conversation with my neighbor, but at least saying hello. If we run into each other in a store to smile, these are important things. Um, you know, offering to move a trash bin, these kind gestures of kindness build community. And when community is built up, our children are healthier emotionally and physically for it. So it actually starts with connecting. So the first thing that I want to talk to remind us all with the intentionality of parenting and keeping our children safe from childhood trauma is the importance of connecting in a community. 
If you are a leader of a sports team or if you are a mentor of a youth group, um, it's important to learn about the kids that are in your group. They don't just fall into your presence from the atmosphere. They have a story. They have experiences that have led them to the moment each time you meet with them. And so it's important to check in, um, believe it or not, and to interact with them just to know things as simple as their name, where they're from. Some of them may be moved to where you are from another part of the country. They might be an international student, an immigrant, who knows? But it's important to learn each other's stories as we are building relationships in these small groups. Because believe it or not, I have been part of organization activities where we spend time together with children for a long time and people who are adults still struggle to remember the name of each child in the group. And when you think about that, how can I penetrate um, you understanding that you matter to me if I can't even remember your name? And so the other thing about intentional connecting and building the community to protect our children from childhood trauma is not just connecting as um, a community, but seeing the children that you work with for who they are, starting with their name. This further opens us all up to conversations that are comfortable and can be more transparent because now I see you, I know your name, I know your story to an extent, whatever you're willing to share. So that way, if things become difficult for me, I am already in a comfortable space in which to open up. And because you and I have now interacted, me being the adult and I'm with the child, um, I can notice small things that are withdrawals or changes in their attitude or attire. Children do a great job of protecting those they love, even if those they love hurt them, because that is their world. So they will hide scars, they will, you know, shut down and do things in which to withdraw. But if you aren't even paying attention to the total picture, you will miss it. You'll miss it. Um, I once had a young patient in my care um, as a physician, um, and we often do child abuse um, workups as pediatricians and even in the hospital where we have to now assume care of a child while uh, the Department of Children and Family Services or Child Protective Services is evaluating the home for safety and other concerns. So I had a child once in my care who was being abused by a step-parent. And the only thing that drew the vice principal's attention to the situation was the behavior that was just erratically changed um, about this child in the classroom. And fortunately, this child was like a loud whistle, blowing, blowing, blowing. I need help. I need support. Something is wrong. That is the child that actually ends up getting everyone's attention because the behavior is so loud and so erratic and so disruptive. But just think about the one that's a little bit more withdrawn or an internal processor that is holding all of that stuff, stuff in. We may miss that one. But because of the behavior in the classroom, this child was pulled out and had to go to the vice principal for discipline and, um, you know, just a further conversation about what was happening in the classroom. And just through observation, um, this principal, one-on-one -on -one vice principal honing in on this child could see there was something that was not right. Additionally, on this child's hands, the principal could notice some marks 
that didn't seem to really make sense and started to probe a little bit and the answers didn't make sense um, as to what caused this injury. And so this prompted a whole cascade of events because educators, much like um, people in medicine, are mandated reporters. And so as a result of this, it was discovered that this child had been abused by their uh, step-parent. And actually, when I examined the child in the hospital, we removed the child's um, long sleeve shirt, and it was kind of a warm part of the year at this time. And you could see belt marks on this child's torso and other um, indication, other indicators of abuse. And all of that had been covered up with the clothing and just how the kid carried himself. So um, it takes a village. It takes a village. It takes probing. It takes observation. It takes the time that we all need to invest to observe the children that are in our care. Getting back to the color purple, another spoiler, um, and thinking a little bit about Celie, so much of her suffering probably could have been spared if instead of whispering, someone had taken her in, someone had talked to her, someone had looked in her in the eye and said, are you okay? Um, when I think about the musical, I think about the opening scenes where um, there's music and they're singing about, have you heard about Celie? Have you heard about what's going on at her house? I heard there was a child and there are whispers as if this is gossip. And we, most of us don't do that now in the millennium. You wouldn't find yourself gossiping about a child who's in a traumatic situation or a suspected difficult home situation. But we do think about it. We do talk amongst ourselves and struggle and what I call wrestle with what to do. And sometimes that conversation extended discussion and wrestling is lost time. Time in which there's more struggle for the child, time in which there is more suffering for the child. Whenever I think about the color purple, this trauma, this physical and sexual abuse that Celie endured and her sister fled before she became a victim, it disturbs me so much to my core because I think about the ways in which the silence of the community just multiplied her suffering. And I think about the barriers of the silence that they must have faced during that era. You know, the, the stereotypes of it's not our business to interfere in a family life. Um, and also about the uncertainty of what to do at that time. If you think about it, social services, those that would inter interrupt that cycle of abuse in a home, they weren't as well established as they are now. And so what would somebody have done? How would somebody have stepped in during that time to protect someone like Celie or help Olivia do more than just run, run away and become essentially a runaway? But unlike the 1920s, our social services system and most in most states are pretty well organized. Despite the fact that, you know, we can all understand they are overwhelmed. We have lots of children with many needs in our states, in our communities. However, we do have departments of children's and family services, and we do have child protective services. And there is a role for these agencies when you are concerned about the safety, physically, emotionally, um, of a child. And it can take time to do a Google search and find those number, numbers. It can be scary. It can be daunting. But it is something that every single adult should really consider themselves a responsible mandator. 
And I want to um, underscore, there is an anonymous way for placing these complaints and concerns to the system, because I think a lot of parents and adults who see children or suspect a child may be struggling worry about <clears throat> the fallout. Will they come after me and say that it was you? And generally, you can you can place an anonymous um, complaint or concern. And you may find that taking the time to do so, you actually save a child from additional layers of trauma. Because if you're noticing something, there's already something that's going on. And the time that we spend, again, wrestling with this issue is time lost and more exposure for this child to trauma. Periodically, you will hear in the news, and I saw an article not too long ago, believe it or not, um, on one of the major news outlets about a child who had been locked in a home and starved for months. And anytime I read things like that, I ask myself, how is this possible? Um, some of the risk factors are families that move a lot, you know, so there's less of a community, again, a community to track what's happening to this child. Children that are not school age, so therefore they are not mandated to be in a school setting. So if you are a family that doesn't do Head Start or pre-K, that child is at home with a caregiver. And so there's no accountability really by any community or a teacher or a classroom to see about the well-being of this child. And so this child had been locked in a house and starved and beaten. And by the serendipitous grace of the, the all high, the almighty, I am a Christian, so almighty, whatever your faith is, however you believe the universe, something intervened and this child was saved. And literally it took the phone call from a neighbor in that community to say something is not right. I have seen something that is unsettling and this child was removed from the home and and put into um, foster care, which of course has its own challenges. But in this regard, this saved this child's life. I can't help but think about all the ways in which The Color Purple is a, is a powerful story. And if someone had intervened in Celie's life, obviously the story would have changed completely. But if they had intervened in her life before she was abused, before she had a child, before she had the second child, certainly before she was sold off to Mista, the story would have been different for her. And while this is a new adaptation for me, uh, the focus is still on the impact of the trauma. What I love about the new adaptation though is that there is redemption and resilience, uh, much so more than the other variations of the stories. And I think about how we, the village, can do a better job of being adults to protect all children from trauma in the first place. And I, I can see that in the story. I can see that in how the characters were able to move through their, um, their trauma and find resilience. Something to consider. Being an advocate is a scary thing. Sometimes people, like I said, are paralyzed by the fear of being wrong. You don't want to make a false accusation against someone that you may barely know or someone that you admire. Believe it or not, there are situations where you may find that someone that you hold in high esteem in the community is actually involved in some horrible, horrible home drama. 
and it's difficult to wrap your mind around how to move forward with that. But, but I asked this question and I'd ask you to consider this. If being an advocate is scary and you're paralyzed by the fear of being wrong, what, what does it mean if you are right? Using again, the color purple as an extreme example of what can happen in the life of a child when no one intervenes. Um, if you have not seen the new film, I encourage you to check it out. I encourage you to see it with your family and your older children. Again, the content is difficult for younger children, so I would not describe it as a family movie, but it is something that you can sit down together and talk about the themes that are presented, the resilience, the way in which the community was involved and could have helped in a different way, and how things are different now from then. So there's so many ways in which this movie is a conversation piece to launch us forward. And I encourage you to do that with each other. Please send me a message on Instagram at the mommy doc one and let me know what you thought of the film, what you think of this conversation about intentional parenting. And then I leave you again with these things. Remember to connect Remember to hear those whispers and then remember that we should all be advocates for the well-being of children in our community, which means that we should all consider ourselves mandated reporters because if we should ask ourselves, if not for me, then who? Until next time, be well and have a wonderful, wonderful start to 2024.